Welcome in to another edition of the Redbird Report. But before we get into lots of Redbird Hoops talk, let's have a word from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Turnberry Square Apartments, who is now pre-leasing two-bedroom apartments at $750 total and three-bedroom apartments at $950 total. On top of being close to campus and their low prices, you can live rent-free for one month. Mention you heard this podcast and your application fee will be waived. Call 309-829-0460 or email turnberrysquare at comcast.net for more info. Make sure to stop by for a visit and tour the property of Turnberry Square Apartments. And like we said, we've got a lot of Redbird Hoops talk to get to Illinois State 4-4 four and four on the season coming off a win at, against Tulsa at Redbird Arena Saturday, but... Like we said, we've we've kind of taken a a podcast hiatus, if you will. The Redbirds went down to Myrtle Beach after losing to Florida Gulf Coast and went 2-1, upsetting South Carolina, where Malik Yarbrough and Phil Fain were both, I should say, they did not start due to violation of team rules, but they they ended up going and and beating South Carolina anyway. They lost to Boise State in, in ugly fashion and closed out the tournament, beating the Golden Hurricane of Tulsa. And then they come home and... Uh, you know, the first time in front of the home crowd, they played Division Two Quincy, and at the half, they were only up by eight, but they ended up going on to, to beat them pretty handily. And then we get into the game where all of us were back on campus for Nate, and they lose to Charleston Southern, and this is a team that we kind of thought they should have beaten. And just kind of your overall thoughts of that game, because I know that was the first one that you had covered this year, and, and it wasn't very pretty. Well, this one was definitely a head-scratcher, Mike. This is one that they should have had, and I think everybody on the team or on the coaching staff could agree that this is definitely a winnable game. Um, Not to take anything away from Charleston Southern. They came in, they played really hard. That was kind of the message that their coach, you know, brought to light after the game was he was really impressed with the energy intensity that they brought um, because they didn't shoot the ball very well and it's not like they came in here and you know shot the lights out of the ball to bury ISU it wasn't that way at all Um, but on the Redbird offense it was really kind of just a slow game all around Um, Keyshawn Evans had a really strong game finished with 26 points but you know it turned out that he had to shoot way too much in the second half. The offensive sets were getting way too stagnant, and he just had to do, you know, he would dribble out the shot clock and, and have to kind of launch one up. And that's something that he addressed in the post game. You know, he, he said that he felt that he shot him outside of the game or out of the game. And, you know, just looking at the, the box score, it's just kind of down the line. It was really inefficient night. Uh, William Tinsley really struggled one for eight, and the, the, Big highlight there is he was you know 0 for 6 from the three-point line. They're really going to need him to start making some of those shots. And a lot of those game, if I recall, or a lot of those shots, if I recall, were were fairly good looks that he probably should have knocked down. Uh, Keyshawn attempted 14 three-pointers. That just seems you know a little excessive to me, to be honest. Even if you're shooting 14 shots, even if those are mixed in between, you know, inside the arc and outside the arc, even 14 shots from one guy. You know, and, and I get he's been most of the offense, but that is just kind of it's getting a little ridiculous. I agree. Out there. Fourteen shots from three point is is a little much, um, but yeah, I mean it, it comes down to this: these other guys are going to have to step up and score, and, and that was the story of the Southern game. The one thing that I, I keep scratching my head about is when is William Tinsley going to show up? I mean, this is a guy that they recruited highly out of Lakeland College. 
and he started every single game for the Redbirds. He's playing upwards of 20 to 22 minutes, if not more, every single game, and he's getting his shots up. Actually, I should, I might actually have to backtrack on that just because this last game against Tulsa, you know, he was passing up good shots. I mean, there were plenty of shots that, you know, Coach Muller, and, and even, you know, I know we sit side by side and, 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 you know, we looked at each other and that's like, that's a good look. And he just passed that up. So he, you wonder if this this shooting slump he's in has started to affect the confidence that he's had. And, and, and that's not a good thing because right now the only scoring you're getting, and you saw it at the half at halftime and really the entire of this past Tulsa game on Saturday, uh, Malik Yarborough, Phil Fain, and Keyshawn Evans are the only offensive production that this team has until you hopefully see Elijah Clarence and we know that you know we just recently talked about it before we started recording this you know we haven't seen him after three minutes against Charleston Southern and you know that's it's not good but the problem here is is when is William Tinsley going to show up and I mean they keep talking about how he shoots in practice they 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 you know they do the shot charts in practice and he's the leading scorer in practice so something's got to give here and then I know we looked at each other during warm-ups and he made six three-pointers in a row and that's when I, I tweeted out I said is this the breakout game I think this is the third time I've done that now maybe I should just stop doing that maybe maybe he's going on Twitter right now yeah and but this is a guy who's playing 20 minutes and he's shooting 20 percent from the field and, yeah and you can't have that out of William Tinsley no that's definitely not what they're looking for out of him I remember you know even back in the exhibition game his debut at Redbird Arena he shot the lights out of the ball I mean I don't have the stats in front of me but it, it felt like he could not miss at times um, you know from deep it wasn't just you know, you know your ordinary three-pointer he was he was getting his looks up and he was making them um Personally, I think it's going to come around. I mean, you can't just, I can't expect that kind of shooting talent just to evaporate all of a sudden. I think it's just a, maybe a tough start to the season. Um, he's still playing a lot of minutes, like you mentioned, and I agree with that because he's one of the taller guys on the team at this he, point. He's one of the leading rebounders, and he doesn't give up defensively, and that's what that's what Muller wants, which he's not afraid to sit people if you don't play defense, which is you know the one thing we're going to have to talk about here mm-hmm. is we've seen Malik Yarborough sit the entire second halves and overtimes. We're hinting at the Charleston Southern game when he played, you know, he played minimally in the first half, and he played 14 minutes, and then he did not play the rest of the game, including the overtime, and we talked about his body language, and it was not good on the bench. And this is a guy that you need on the floor for your Illinois State because without him on the floor, you lose your best offensive threat. You lose a guy who is upwards of six seven, six eight, playing point guard. Yeah. And he and, and and my I think one of my favorite things about Malik Yarborough, mm. and it just came on Saturday after we talked to him in the press in the post game press conference, and I asked him. I said. It looks like when you go out there, the game becomes easy for you. And I asked him, how easy is the game of basketball for him? And he literally looked at me and said, it's pretty easy. He said, when, once I dropped weight, which he, he came in here, and I believe last year he, 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 he weighed in at about, I want to say, upwards of 250. He's back down to like 215. Mm-hmm. And he said that's, he credited a lot of this you know, early success to that. But, I mean, he, it looks like he's just gliding out there and not even everything is effortless. And he, he said, I dropped weight and now the game comes slow. He said, if two guys come crashing down on me, it does not look to me as fast as it does to you guys. And it, So when a guy sits there and says that Division mm-hmm. One basketball is coming easy to you, that's a guy you can't have off the floor and he was suspended. Uh, he was suspended the entire Quincy game for violation of team rules after they got back from Myrtle Beach, and then in Myrtle Beach 
for violation of team rules again. Not even a le- not even a week's difference in time. Uh, he did not start the South Carolina game, the opener of the Myrtle Beach tournament. Uh, and he did not start due to violation of team rules. And obviously, last year, you know, you hate to dwell on things, but you know, if it's become a recurring thing of violation of team rules last year, Yarbrough did get caught with former Redbird uh, player DJ Clayton, and obviously, you know, another transfer, Deontay Hawkins. They were caught uh, early in the season uh, at you know downtown Bloomington, and they had stolen a phone and a wallet. Um, and so you, you wonder. What's going through Malik Yarborough's head? Because it, there has to be a transition period to the point where he kind of grows out of this. And, and Nate, I just want to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, if this team loses Yarborough, they're they're kind of out of it. They, they might be a lost cause without him. Yeah, they, they cannot afford to lose Yarborough at this point. Um, just my thoughts on his gameplay first uh, to, to start us off. Um, I've been you know, really extremely impressed. You've touched on many of the things that I was thinking. Um, he's moving so well, and the most just incredible part is that he's running the point guard. For the, when he's out there, you know, sometimes Keyshawn will run it, but a lot of times he wants the ball, and that's fine because he's making the right dire- uh, decisions for the most part. You know, he, the Redbirds really going to need him, especially when Valley play opens. It's going to be a very competitive conference, and you know, Dan Muller. He spoke about it after the that after the Southern game where he was asked, you know, is Malik giving is he not giving you something that you want? And, and Mueller said, yeah, you know, I, I'm looking for something and it's just not happening right now. Um, I'm hoping for the sake of the Redbirds that they that he's kind of turned a corner after this Tulsa win. That was a that was a really good win for him. Um, they were excited after the game. You know, we saw Phil and Malik after the game. They were, you know, in, in great Clowning spirits. around a yeah, little bit. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, they're going to really need him because at this point it is just him, Fane, and Evan scoring. Like I said, I think Tinsley's going to come around, but, you know, you're going to need Yarbrough, and he's going to have to, you know, he always mentions how close this team is. He says he calls them, you know, his brothers, so he's going to have to bring it in and, and, and you know, the team first is what's going to happen. And Yarborough's the engine that makes this team go. And you kind of saw that uh, where Dan had actually said that he's starting to grow up a little bit. And it happened after that Charleston Southern game where Muller was not afraid to mention that he took notice to the body language of Malik and the way that he was acting and the intensity that he played with. And that turned quickly when the team went out to Nevada. Actually, a week ago today, as we record this on Wednesday, December 6th, a week ago today, they went out to Nevada and they played a top 25 team. Nevada entered the polls this week at number 22 and they got beat by 30 points. Mm -hmm. And it was not pretty. And I remember sitting there watching this game and even when the team tipped off, ISU got off to a nine nothing start, and then they a Malik. yeah, and then they start, and they and then they go up fifteen to nine, and then Nevada just started shooting lights out, and, and they shot lights out the entire game. They were out, you know, ISU was outsized, outman, and then you lose Malik Yarborough at the seven minute. They lost him with just about eight minutes to go. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say seven fifty nine. You know, eight minutes to go. Okay. They lost Yarborough to, to concussion like symptoms. And it was completely different. This offense was thrown completely out of rhythm. This defense, mm-hmm. you know, they were being out-rebounded. I mean, the amount of second-chance points that the Wolfpack had against against Illinois State was incredible. And but you saw in his first-half performance, he played four. He had 14 points 
in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was a completely different locked-in Malik Yarborough. And, it, and that carried over into the Tulsa game. And, you know, we were both there again for Tulsa. And a, the one thing that I'll say about this team that I, that I find most concerning is every single game, no matter if they've won, they've lost, anything, you know, whatever the result's going to be, this offense goes into a bit of a stat. They, they just mm-hmm. get stagnant. They can't score for minutes at a time. And thankfully, it hasn't come back to bite them here yet because they've been able to bail themselves out against South Carolina. South Carolina came within two points, never closer. Mm-hmm. Quincy, they went into the halftime. Uh, they had their spurt, you know, their offensive struggles in the first half, which allowed Quincy to come back in, cut that lead to eight, then go into halftime. And then ISU came back out and just, you know, stormed all over Quincy. And, and, and Andrew should. That's a, that's yeah. a gimme game. But then Charleston Southern, again, we saw it come in the second half where they, they were up by as much as 11 in the first half, and then Charleston Southern you know, creeps their way back in, and you know we know how that one ended. And then Nevada, the team just was pretty stagnant the entire second half, really got nothing going. I mean, there was a, they, they went on a run. I should say – I should, you know – Refrain myself there because they did go on a seventeen nothing run in the second half, but it only cut the lead to thirteen, I believe, and 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 that's just the testament to how good Nevada was that night. If the team goes on a seventeen nothing run right. and you can only cut the lead to thirteen, I mean, you're still got a stranglehold on that game. And like I said, Nevada's a team that found themselves in the AP top twenty five this week, but they actually just lost their first game last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was. I believe they lost to. I want to say it was NC State. I, the, I, yeah, I, I, I can't. Re- I can't. Re- I cannot remember who they lost to, but I remember tweeting it out. Um, and, and so they might find themselves on the outside of the polls here uh, later on, and in, in the upcoming week when they are released on Monday. Um, but you know, for now, they're still a top twenty-five team. But then you go into Tulsa, and again, the second half just could not make a shot. It seemed like for a good eight-minute period. Yeah. See, that's. You know, you just identified one of the problems that I've kind of been thinking about this team. They go four or five minutes without a field goal. You know, they might have an occasional, you know, free throw attempt. Or, but you need field goals to, to keep the rhythm and momentum of this team going. After a while, after, you know, say four or five possessions coming up empty-handing, that, that's frustrating, and, and that can, you know, definitely weigh in on, on following possessions. Um, another thing I'd like to jump into, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, is just the lack of bench scoring has been awfully Oof. concerning for this team. They went the entire first half without a bucket in their win against Tulsa, without a bucket from or even a point from um, from their their bench, and they only ended up with what three? I think they just had the only the three. The only three Gassman. was Isaac Gasman, and then the only other contribution they had from the starters was Madison Williams, who had nine. It's it's just it's just unbelievable. And, and I, excuse me, because I think I think uh, Tinsley had a two. Tinsley had that one-hand put-back yeah, dunk, that was pretty sweet, which was really cool. But, yeah. I mean, you go back and you have 11 points outside of your starters that aren't named Malik Yarborough, Keyshawn Evans, and Phil Fain. And then That's you go to your bench, mm-hmm. and you only have three. So you have a total of 14 points mm-hmm. from a team from from your entire team that you know that isn't your three-headed monster. I mean that you had 65 points. You finished with yep. 65 points and 14 of those came from none other than three players. Yeah. You can't have that. Once you start getting into teams that can play and tonight they play BYU. BYU is going to be a team that if Malik Yarbrough and Phil Fain and Keyshawn Evans are the only offense that they have this one's good as done and you know i think they're in some trouble as it is but we'll get into that a little bit here later but i'll tell you what the lack of the bench scoring and the lack of scoring from the starters and and again you hate to hammer on the kid but it starts with william tinsley i don't 
and this is you know my you know personal opinion, but I did not believe that Phil Fain was going to be the second leading scorer on this team or third leading scorer. Um, and he is. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked about this. I know when Tom has been in here, we've talked about it. But, you know, Phil is going to be a number two, number three option here this year because of what you lost. I mean, you know, you you, you got to think back to, you know, what Illinois State lost. They lost their three leading scorers from last year, Paris Lee, uh, Deontay Hawkins, and Kyle McIntosh. And then it was Phil Fain. Phil was a four or five option last year. Now he's going to bump himself up to two or three. But... I think he scored the ball well, though. He's, his good. offensive game, and, and the one thing that Dan had said throughout, you know, the off season, or I should say, the preseason, and then you know here early on in the season, is Phil's a different offensive player, and I've seen that. You yeah. know, you could see that he's still missing shots around the rim and some mid-range shots that I think eventually are going to fall. Yeah. But the problem is, is he's not supposed to be in that top three category. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if a kid is just playing well, mm-hmm. then that's a different story. And he's playing very, very well, but. When you look at the beginning of the season, there's one person that was supposed to be in that top three scorers list, mm-hmm. and it wasn't supposed to be Phil. It was supposed to be William Tinsley. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue is once you get him going, this team is going to be very hard to stop. And then you talk about Elijah Clarence, who's going to come back here eventually. I mean, I know he got those three minutes against Charleston Southern, but we haven't seen him since uh, due to blisters that have been caused from the shoes he's been wearing, which... Is wild, bizarre, but yeah, and and but from what Dan has said is they're painful, they're big, and they're not going to push that because obviously you mess around with blisters and those things are just going to come back and be a recurring issue. Right. And obviously with a freshman, you're not going to want to mess around with that. But we've seen his. Ten- I mean, you were there against Charles and Southern. I mean, that first the first time he was on the floor, he mm-hmm. took the ball up the court. Yep. He put a kid on skates, yeah, but he then did. he turned the the ball over. But yeah. he put a kid on skates, but then he then he glassed the then he had that block where he glassed the kid. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, if this team can get contributions out of people other than Malik Yarborough, Phil Fain, and Keyshawn Evans, they'll be in good shape here coming down the stretch yeah definitely agree um looking at that starting five right now i don't i don't personally need madison williams to to be an elite scorer for the team i like what he's bringing defensively and just with his energy and i think muller's okay with what he's bringing he shot three for ten i don't even i don't think he needs to shoot that many times he has a you know he has a pretty solid three-point shot if it's if it's there shoot it no problem uh tinsley's gonna have to you know just simply gonna have to be better he knows that and i think he will be better just looking, and then looking past that on the bench, you have Gasman, Berninga, Hine, and Martin. You know, out of those four guys, you haven't really seen anything. I mean, Berninga's had his moments, especially when he's in Myrtle Beach. He had some big games. That was definitely encouraging, but you kind of hasn't um, repeated that since. Since then, uh, he's not afraid to shoot, though. That's that's uh, positive from him. He's kind of his, his play has kind of come down. He's mm-hmm. kind of starting. He didn't look like a freshman there early on, yep. and now he's starting to look exactly. like a freshman. Kind of working backwards in, in a sense. Um, so yeah, he's kind of shown at least some sparks, but like Matt Hine and Jerron Martin, they're not really showing anything right now, and that's something that you know they're they're gonna need these guys. They're gonna need this roster. I mean, even the walk on uh, Luke Littler has played. Pretty much every game. I I don't think he played against Tulsa, but other than that, he he's seen minutes in all the time. So that's just kind of a indicator that Muller is going to need everybody up and down this roster, and they need to be ready. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it goes tonight. 
Yeah, so like we said, BYU tonight. BYU six and two. Illinois State four and four. And this is a Brigham Young team that, you know, obviously they're going to Provo, Utah, and you know they're going to play in a gym where, you know, even I'm thinking back to it when we were in high school, and you know a lot of these kids are, you know, a lot of these players are the same age as we are. You know, back in high school, Jimmer Fredette was huge. Yeah. So you're going to play where Jimmer Fredette once, you know, called home. Uh, but this is a this is a very experienced BYU team. This is a bigger BYU team. I'm not going to compare them to Nevada in a sense that they're as talented, but they're as big and they're as fast as Nevada. And this is a team that's going to put up points. Uh, so, so Illinois State is going to have their hands full again. You go out west. It's a brutal brutal travel schedule that this team has been on. I mean, you think that they went to Florida Gulf Coast, came back home, practiced for a few days, then go out to Myrtle Beach. Then they come back, they have two, they play a, a home game against Quincy, a home game against Charleston Southern, they go out to Nevada. They come home, play Tulsa, and then they go back out to BYU. So, I mean, a lot of coast-to-coast trips for this team, and I think this is, it's going to start wearing them here, so, especially because you think about where they're going next, they come home and they play Murray State on Saturday, and then they go back out to Ole Miss. So, I mean, really? the, the, the travel schedule for this team has been absolutely brutal, um, and I think there's going to be some testimony to that here tonight. I, I just I don't see Illinois State hanging with this. I shouldn't say – I should say I, I see Illinois State hanging with this team, unlike last week in Nevada. I think it'll be a close one because I think Mal- Malik's going to play the entire game, and obviously some people may have heard that – may hear this podcast – after this game has taken place. So, again, we're recording this on Wednesday night prior to the BYU game. And I just think that BYU is going to be a little too much, a little too experienced for this team who's still trying to find an identity, find a true leader. And I think my score prediction for the night is going to be BYU 74, Illinois State 68. A close one. Illinois State hangs in it, but I just don't see them going in there and pulling it out. And It's going to be another learning experience for this team because if you can go in there and lose close, You've got good film to watch, and I think you got a team coming in on, on Saturday night in Murray State who has struggled. Obviously, they beat you last year in the season opener, but you're on the they were on the road last year, and you know I, I think they're going to come back and beat Murray State on Saturday. But, Nate, what's your prediction here before we wrap up? Uh, I think it's very similar to yours. I think ISU hangs in the game, and uh, just like you mentioned, I think, they, I think they're going to play good defense tonight, and I think they're going to hold BYU to a you know pretty modest – yeah, field goal percentage. But, yeah, I, I just don't think that they've shown enough to lead me personally to believe that they're going to go out in the West Coast and, and, and beat a team on their home court that's favored by, I think, 11 points right now. So, I don't know. And, and like you mentioned, I, I'd like to see them give a solid effort and not, you know, have another repeat of um, the Nevada game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree pretty much verbatim what you said. I think they're going to hang in, and I, I think maybe it would be a, a test where they kind of pull away at the end. But as far as score, um, I'll go a little bit lower on the score than you. I'll go um, 68 to 59 uh, BYU wins. So that's what I got. It should be an interesting matchup. Nate will be covering that game, so check out his game story online and in tomorrow's 
paper version of the vedette. Uh, and before we sign off, do not forget to check out Turnberry Square Apartments located at 304 Turnberry Drive in Bloomington. Turnberry offers a great housing community close to campus with unbeatable prices. Mention you heard this podcast and your application fee will be waived. Make sure to call 309 309- 829-0460 or visit TurnberryBloomington.com for more info. That's all we've got on this edition of the Redbird Report. For Nate Head, I'm Michael Mara and as always, check out all our online content, our paper version tomorrow, and have a great night and thank you for listening. <laughs>